It's really cool to see all of you guys here, and especially with our old chairs here. I was telling some of the people here when I saw these chairs, um, it, it did bring back some emotional feelings, like, oh, this is cool, we have, the, the chairs are back. And, uh, but more importantly than chairs is the people that sit on the chairs. You know, I'm just glad to see more of you in person here this evening. And I know that some of you I don't recognize, not because, well, yeah, partially because your mask is on, but uh, some of you, if, if you're new here, welcome to join Ayers. If this is your first time here, we're so glad that you're able to join us <coughs> for a time of worship this evening. <coughs> if, if you have your Bibles, please open to James chapter 4. We're going through a little mini-series in the month of June on just how to just meet a lot as like mixed between like pastoral reflection as well as just um, thinking about how Christians should operate in this fallen world. But it's particularly this lesson that we're going to hear, listen to, or I'm going to teach on tonight is on how Christians are supposed to interact with one another in the context of the local church. In the last year, there's just been a whole bunch of just fighting and bickering and just conflict between believers and other believers, and it's led to a division that I think um, it just it's, it's makes the church seem very petty at times. That our greatest and most important thing that we have on earth to win people to Christ is deterred because of our own preferences. Um, so that's why I want to just kind of teach this lesson tonight. But before we um, get into the, the sermon. Let me read from the book of James. Although our passage is going to be in chapter 4, verse 1 and 3, I do want to read from chapter 3, verse 13, as a way to kind of bring ourselves into the text. <clears throat> James chapter 3, verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant, so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder every, and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who seek, by those who make peace. <clears throat> Chapter four, what is the source of, of quarrel <coughs> and conflict among you? It's not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. <clears throat> Let's go to Lord in prayer. Lord God, it is exciting to be able to return to something similar to what it was like before this whole pandemic. We're thankful for all the people that you brought back and even those at our home that we're able to have this uh, different ways to meet to, uh, together, whether it's online or in person. And Lord, we long for a day where we can all gather together, where we can fellowship and sing praises to you. Lord, we're thankful that things are getting better in this side of the Bay Area. 
we hope that uh, as things are starting to open up, that we don't just open up so that we can do things for our own pleasures and desires, but that we see uh, now an opportunity to, to win people to Christ, um, that we don't take for granted uh, the lessons that you taught us this last year. Be with us now as we study your word. Uh, give us a mind to focus and allow the Holy Spirit to convict us on, on how we can apply this message into our daily lives. We thank you for the time that we have in your son's precious name. Amen. <clears throat> There's a theory called the just war theory, and it's thought up by St. Augustine. And uh, the idea behind this is that living in a fallen world, you're bound to have conflict with people that are, you know, that are, that ho that are hostile. There's going to be people that want to hurt you, and there's those that want to kill and, do, and cause great harm. And Augustine thought of this, what we call just war theory, as a way to think how are Christians supposed to respond knowing that there is so much calamity in the world, knowing that there are wars and, and battles that go on. What is the Christian's response and how are we supposed to think through it? Should Christians be completely passive or should Christians be uh, willing to engage in combat? And I think the just war theory kind of finds a middle ground. It tries to use biblical principles to, to restrain someone um, from going and killing and, and causing mass genocide. And that's actually one of the things about just war theory is that when, <coughs> when people decide to fight and go to war with another nation, they're only allowed to fight the soldiers. They're not allowed to go and kill the innocent people, the non-combatant people. Um, another idea that's from the just war theory is that when you go to war, it should only be an, uh, a means to an end, meaning that they should try to, you're supposed to think about war in a sense of trying to stop more evil from happening. You commit, you're allowed to kill so that more people can, lives can be spared. That's a general idea. And Augustine thought about this because he knows that man is evil, that man, because of their sinful tendency, because of their natural propensity to, to hate and to murder people, that peace is not a norm. War is a norm. In fact, he talks about how if peace is to come, that is the thing that is exceptional and rare and needs explanation. War and fights that goes on in the world is the norm of society and the norm of the world because we live in a fallen world, and fallen world, and this fallen world is inhabited by fallen, sinful people. Now, it is strange for the world to have peace, but not for the church. And I think the only explanation for that is that in the context of the church, we are born again. Our old selves have passed away, and we have this new identity in Christ. There should be peace in the church. In fact, if there is no peace in the church, that is the thing that there's something, there's something wrong there. Just like war, just, just like peace is abnormal in the world, war is abnormal in the church. Just like peace is abnormal in the world, war is abnormal in the church. And we think about this last year, there's, there's been, everything just seems so polarized and political, right? This whole COVID situation, it made people have like the two extremes where there's like political elections, mask mandates, <coughs> submitting to government, singing, everything in the last year has put people on two sides. 
And yes, we understand that's how the world operates, but sadly, even in the context of the church, they may have this infighting and inner conflict. And I'm not saying that you cannot have a difference of opinion, but those opinions and your preferences should never make you want to divide and split the church. As Christians, we're called to live in a standard that is above the world. We are guided by scripture. We're moved by the Spirit, Holy Spirit to obey the word of the living God. So this book, the book of James, is written with the assumption that you call yourself a Christian. It assumes that you, you know the basic gospel. That's why this book is written in such a way that seems like your salvation is a workspace. But it's not. This book is, is, assumes that you call yourself a Christian, so this is what Christian conduct is supposed to be. In fact, throughout this entire book, it goes through a whole gamut of different topics, and, and that's how Christians are supposed to respond. Chapter 1 talks about how Christians, and the way that they think about trials should be different from the world. <laughs> Chapter 1 tells us that we need to consider it all joy my brethren, when we encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, that endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So even the way that the Christians go through trials should be different. The way that we view trials is not something without hope. We know that the Lord is working through this trial for our good and it's supposed to make us glorify him even more. And this last year, when you're, going, when you're, sh you're sheltering in place, and things are just very difficult. I wonder how many of you thought that, Lord, what are you trying to teach me here? How are you sanctifying me through this? Because the way that believers think about trials is different from the way that non-believers think about trials. And then throughout this, <coughs> throughout this first chapter, we talk about the, the James writes about temptations and how the way we deal with temptations and where does it come from? It's from our own sinful desires and our own lust. We cannot blame God for the reason why we sin, but it's because sin that's inside of us, that's, that we allow it to grow and fester, and when it matures, it leads us to death. And the end of chapter one talks about how the righteousness, uh, I mean, the, the anger of man does not accomplish or achieve the righteousness of God. So the way that even believers deal with anger is different. Chapter two speaks about the sin of partiality, how the believers in the context of the church should have no partiality. You view one another, um, brothers and sisters in the faith, it doesn't matter what gender the other person is, it doesn't matter where they are socially, it doesn't matter what their job is, you treat them the way that, um, that they should be according to the scriptures, that they're made in the image of God, redeemed by the blood of Christ. So they're this inherent value. So if you put anyone for whatever reason above another person, that is sin. Chapter 2 also has what we know the most famous verse, I think, in this book is that faith without works is dead. The, the chapter, chapter 2 ends by talking about what the, the, the sin of this false faith that we have. That even Abraham, when he had faith, the evidence of that faith was that he lived it out. That he, that he followed God's word. That he obeyed God. Even though he had no clue what the future had to hold, he trusted in God. Chapter 3, we know the way that the, the believers will tame their tongues. The way that we speak to one another needs to be different from the world. That our tongue could be like this little flame that, that can ignite and cause a forest to burn down. Something so small can have such great consequences. Then it ends with what we just read earlier. 
by, with the wisdom from above and the wisdom from below. That as believers, the way that we think about life, the way that we think about how we need to operate in life, it has to be grounded in God's word. And when those things are true, there are things that lead to things like purity and being peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. So this is, get, leads us to where we're at now, which is conflict in the church. You know, with all the COVID restrictions and then now things are starting to get loosened up here in California, there, you know, it's good, but I, try, but I know that there's still going to be moments where there's going to be differences of opinions on how to deal with this. Should you wear a mask? Should you not wear a mask? Should you get the vaccine? Should you not get the vaccine? You know, the, all of these things, there's going to be different people that hold the different views, and they're going to hold it differently. And what Christians need to understand is that these things are not gospel issues. These things are, are, are a lot of ways just personal convictions and preferences, and we need to be able to be understanding in that way and not cause division because of it. What God cares more than your liberties and your uh, religious liberties here is unity in the church. And oftentimes, churches, when they divide, it offends the Lord greatly because the Lord does not want his bride to be divided. You know, one of the things that Chinese churches are known for is, is divisiveness. Um, if you go to certain ethnic churches, there are some things, or different churches with different ethnic backgrounds, you'll notice that there's, there's a, you know, a stereotype for each one, like the, if it's an Anglo-type church, they're very quiet and stoic. You know, there's this idea of always being somber. If you go to an African-American church, they're very expressive. And that's the idea of shouting loudly and joyfully to the Lord. But for Asian churches, what we're sadly known for is divisiveness. Always dividing. That's why you, I have friends that are in, like, in different Chinese churches. And they're like, oh, yeah, there's a church split. And then that church will have another church split. And another. it's not even like church planning. If they even rephrase it, it will sound kind of cool. But no, they're dividing over things that are just very petty. Oh, this person... Um, I don't like to work with that person. Let's church split. Oh, I don't like the way the chairs are. Church split. We don't like the carpet. Church split. So understand that there are things worth fighting for, and there are things that we have to just be honest with ourselves, that it really doesn't matter. In the grand scheme of eternity, it doesn't matter. Yet I'm not saying that conflicts are not going to happen in the church. I'm not saying that, are, that you're going to have to agree 100% with everything that this church does, or even 100% what other people will do. But how you respond and how you act and how you think about these things will either give glory to God or dishonor him. It either make people see God in, in you by the way that you react to things or it will deter people from the goodness and kindness of our Lord. So for us to think, for us to kind of think about our topic is why do you have conflict in your life? Why do, you, why do you like to fight? Why is there conflict? And, I, you know, I'm talking a lot about COVID stuff, but this is, these are biblical principles that apply to every area in your life. So for this evening, I'm going to explain to you why you have conflict in your life. Two reasons. Two reasons why you have conflict in your life. Why do you fight? First reason is because you love to fight. You're a fighter. The first reason is you are a fighter. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflict among you? This is a rhetorical question that James writes here. In fact, this first word here, what, if you have the NASB, there should be a little, um, there, uh, if you look at the, you know, the side column of the other, like, other translation, you'll notice this, it reads this, uh, from where wars and where fights were fighting. It's, it sounds weird in English, maybe a way to make 
that translates this. Where did this come from? Where does all of this conflict, where did all of these quarrels come from? This word quarrels here is this idea of this prolonged conflict. This is something that's just dragging on and on and on. In fact, James is writing to this church, and this church, the tension has gone so great that the church is at a standstill. Godliness is stunted. Ministry is halted. Unity is shattered. Fellowship is fractured. Evangelism is neglected. And all of these conflicts and these quarreling leads them to a dead church. Because, and the reason why that is, is because dead people are in it. They're run by dead people. They're focused on themselves. And as Christians, we are called to be peacemakers. Following Jesus makes you naturally a peacemaker. That's what Matthew chapter 5 tells us, that blessed are the peacemakers, for they inherit the kingdom of God. And we are peacemakers because we have a new birth in Christ, and he is the prince of peace. So why don't we have peace? I think a subtle theme in this book is, is it's, it's this contrast between humility and pride. I think one reason why people have conflict is that they're very proud. Later on, James chapter 4, verse 10 says this, Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. And we know the phrase that the Lord, in chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives a greater grace, therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but it gives grace to the humble. Why do we have conflict? It's because in our own hearts, we think very highly of ourselves. We're very prideful people. So it says, so James asks this question, why do you have these quarrels? Quarrels are these long, dragged out uh, uh, conflicts. This is where we get the polemic from. And it's like, you know, you're, you're always bringing up something that they've done wrong in the past. You know, the one ministry thing that did not go right, and you're always bringing back up how, oh, if we just did this ministry this way 20 years ago, then we wouldn't be in this problem right now. You know, it's that type of person that's just always bringing back issues over and over again. They just can't let things go. That's what quarrel is. And conflict, actually, no, well, let's stay, stay with quarrel for a second. This is the reason why James, I mean, uh, Paul, when he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23, it said, but refuse foolish and ignorant, spec ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce Quarrels. The bond servant, <laughs> the bond servant, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong. This is actually a qualification of an elder. That as an elder, you're not supposed to be someone that likes to fight all the time. Because if the elders and the leaders like to fight, then they're naturally going to split and divide the church. Quarreling is a very grave sin to the Lord, because it's saying. I want my way in the context of the church. You, you, you naturally dismiss Christ uh, and, and all the things the Bible has to say about the church for your own preferences. So, yeah, he, so James asked, what's, what's the source of your quarrels and conflict? This word conflict here is, just, is a word for fights. I don't think this is like in the context here. I don't think that they're really physically beating each other up. But I think it's just the language that he's using to describe that there are just always fight, like verbal arguments Titus chapter 3 verse 9 says, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious 
person, a factious man, after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. So this is very interesting here when, when, Paul's, writing to Tim, when Paul's writing to Titus that if there is someone that's causing all these factions and divisions, you need to get rid of them. In fact, this is the only time, you know, when we think about church uh, discipline, which is that four-step process, this James chapter 3 gives us, or Titus chapter 3 gives us this, the only exception to that rule. If there's someone that's factious, you warn them twice and they have to go. The Lord cares about the unity of the church. And this is what James is confronting them as well. He's saying among you, among the church members, it says, later on, it is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members. Is the source here, James is focusing on their internal problem, not what's going on the outside. He's not, he's not here trying to settle some dispute. He's just asking, asking them a question. Where is the source of all this conflict? And this word, pleasures. We, it's one of those words, pleasures here is a word that that is like an English word. That does, you know how there's some Greek words that sound like English words or vice versa? This is not one of them. This word pleasures, it is a word that familiar with. It's the word where we get hedonism from. It's hedonai. And it basically is this the passion that's inside you. It's all about you. It focuses on what you want. It stays inside of you. And, that, and the reason why it, uh, it stays inside you because it's always about you. It's about you. It's focusing on your wants. And because of that, you wage war outwardly. It says, it, it says here that they wage war in your members. Look, there are things that are their right to wage war against. You know, we could wage war against the things of the world. So these are things like the lies and deceptions and concepts from the world. We could wage war against the flesh, like our own sinful desires. We could wage war against the devil in the sense of the lies and schemes. But we're not called to wage war against one another. There are things to be, there are things that are right to fight against, and there are other things that are wrong. So where did all of these conflicts and strife and quarrels come from? And we know this question is, it's, it's within you. It's inside of you. Your own desires is the reason why you have all of these conflicts in your life. When you think about your own life, when you think about how, just think about the last conflict that you had with someone. What was it about? What was it over? You know, whether it's you starting the conflict or someone else starting, if you think about it clear, carefully and, and, and rationally and objectively, you realize that a lot of the, more, all the conflicts is something that this other person wants or what you want and that person is, is stopping you. And that's what it is. All conflicts is something that is some sort of roadblock from some sort of goal that someone wants. That's the first reason. You fight because you want to fight. You are a fighter. Second is you do not ask. Notice verse 2. You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Notice it says you lust. So the difference between lust and pleasure here. Lust is this idea of it's, it's a strong desire. Pleasure is the hedonistic, it's like focusing yourself. Lust is something that you see, is something that you think that you need, and you go after it. This word lust is epi, which is all, uh, thumia is desire, is, is like desire. So it's, all, it's this desire that, that takes up all of you. In fact, this word itself is kind of neutral, because that same word here is the one that refers to elders that want to be elders. They have this desire for eldership. That's the same word here. 
those that aspire for eldership is the same word here. But in this case, so the, uh, the, the lust itself is only bad in terms of what the object is. So if you desire good things, that's totally fine. But if you desire things that are just focused on you and your own selfish desires, those are the things that are sinful. So James is saying you lust and you do not have. This is like another word saying like you covet. You see something that other people have and you want it. So you commit murder. Now again, it's much like the conflict from before about fighting. I don't think James here is speaking about actually killing someone. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22, Jesus says that if you're just angry with someone in your heart, you commit murder. I think that's what the language here is about. James is the half-brother of Jesus, so he, he's aware of Jesus' teaching. I think he's trying to bring this back into mind that even when you're angry with someone in your own heart, that's considered murder in the eyes of the Lord. Now, there is something that's a reality here. Sometimes people don't murder because they just, you know, they're afraid of you know, the consequences of that, and that's good. Um, but in reality, the reason why people don't murder is because they don't have the opportunity. If they know that they could get away with it and there's no consequences, other than the fact that they can finally get what they want, people will probably do it. In your own sinfulness, in your own heart, you would want to commit murder because you think that that person is in the way from what I want in life. Notice that you are envious and cannot obtain. This idea of envious is this you know, someone has something that you want and, you, and they're in the way and you want to tear them down. You want to destroy them because you see them and you want something internally that belongs to someone else and you ha in your mind you think, I have to have it, but they are in the way. This is kind of like David and Bathsheba, right? David saw Bathsheba and he wanted her, he lusted after her. And then the only thing, at first, the only thing was distance and then later on, he got her pregnant. It's like, okay, now I need to cover my sins, and I want to keep her. So how do I keep the how do I keep her <laughs> how to keep my reputation, keep her reputation intact? Oh, I'm just gonna find very manipulative ways to kill the husband. So or not, not even kill the husband, to try get the husband to sleep with his wife. And then when that didn't work, it's like, okay, I'm just gonna end this person's life, and then marry her. So it makes other people think I'm the hero. So that you know, when she just has a kid, it's like, oh, it's just because the king was just so kind and makes perfect sense. But you know that the Lord sees your sin. And this is why, and I bring this up because, you know, in the last year, there's been a lot of just discontentment with what's go what happened, right? Like, how come this church is not doing this thing? Or, how, or why is that church doing that and we can't do it? Or how come this church is able to meet and we don't? Why does that church have to not wear masks and we do? And there's always this comparison of what other people have and what we don't have. Or what this church has and, you know, uh, vice versa. All of these things at the, at the core of it, the reason why people keep bickering and fighting in the context of the church is because they don't get what they want at the moment. And again, this is just like in terms of COVID, but we could also see this principle in every other area in our life, right? We become envious when, when we think about dating relationships. Oh, I've been in this church for so long. I've been serving and a faithful member. No one wants to ask me out. Or why is that person being asked out? Or why is, why is that person... Uh, going out with that person, not me. I've been, I've been faithful. I've done all of these good things. How come people don't recognize me for things that I do? Or ministry. How come I don't get called up to do these leadership-type roles or have greater influence in, in the church? I've been faithful for all of these years. Don't they recognize the things that I've done? Or, or it could be your career, or career goals. Like that person did not work as long, but yet they get paid more. Why is that? There's just 
all of this envy and lust that's in your own hearts. You want all these things, but you cannot obtain it. So the result of that is that you fight and you quarrel. That's why people in the church sometimes get jealous of each other and they, they, they're, they're tense towards one another. They have this weird um, relationship because they want something. They see what this other person has that they want and they feel that it's not fair, so they fight with them. <clears throat> so there's conflict with other people. Again, this word fight here is, is just this idea of heated disputes and quarreling is the same word that we see in verse 1. But you do all of these things because of your own selfish lust. It's funny that James says here, you do not have these things because you do not ask. You don't, and you know, obviously for Christians, like, you don't pray. Like, you don't ask God for it. We spend more of our time fighting and complaining and grumbling, but yet how many of those times that we should have used to ask the Lord for it? It is, it's implied here that if you just ask the Lord, you might actually get it. But at the same time, we know that just because you ask something, that doesn't mean that that's what's best for you. You don't pray. Why do, why do people don't pray? Because there's a part of them, they understand that it's a sinful desire. It's a sinful desire that makes them not want to be with God. They don't want to ask God. So then let me ask you, how do you deal with the things, with problems in your life? Do you pray to the Lord? When there's something that, you know, even things like that I've mentioned, like relationship, ministry, all of these things, these things are good, these things are fine in and of itself, but do you ask the Lord to mature you in these certain areas? Or do you even ask the Lord for these things? So what keeps a person from praying? Again, it's what I mentioned earlier, I think it's pride. You think you have to, so you're reliant you're relying so much on your own abilities and, and talents that you decide not to pray. And when you don't get what you want, you get angry at God and other people and you fight in the church. So think about the last conflict that you've had in your own, you know, with, with the other person. Do you ever pray about that situation? Or do you just constantly just grump, play it back in your mind over and over again? You have these quarrels, you prolong the fight in your own mind or even possibly with the other person. How often do you pray about it? But when you pray, do you pray for your own desires or do you pray because you want to honor the Lord? Notice verse 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. It's funny here that James is, assumes here that the person is doing some sort of religious activity. But even though they're doing some sort of uh, religious activity, it's not spiritually motivated. It's, it has nothing to do, it's just the outworkings of a person. They're just praying, and it seems like they're praying. Even in their mind, they think, oh, I'm praying, I'm, I'm praying, I'm, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying for what I want. But they're not actually praying for, the for God to be honored. They're not even praying that they're walking closely with the Lord. They're praying with wrong motives. It says here that they're praying with wrong motives. The wrong motives, it's not like they're not genuine with their prayer. It's not like, oh God, I really, really, really want it. I really, really want this. I really want this job. I really want to be in this relationship. I really want to do well in ministry or work or whatever. Wrong motives here, it means morally bad. Like the thing that they're praying for is actually morally wrong. It's, 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 it goes against what God expects. It, it, he knows, God knows, that what you really want is not actually something that's honoring to him. It's kind of like when someone is, you know, when you pray, thinking that you're doing this religious activity, but God knows your heart. He knows your motive. You could... It's almost like if you're walking with the Lord, you're like, see, I'm walking closely with him, but your eyes are not, with, are not directed to where God wants you to go. You're looking at your idol as you're following the Lord. 
or you think that you're following the Lord. It's kind of like, you know, in, in, when Lot and his, and his wife and Sodom and Gomorrah, it's kind of like they're running towards this one direction, but then his wife looked back and turned to a pillar of salt. That's how some of you are when it comes to your own prayers. You think that just because you're praying, doing the act of prayer, that that must mean that God is going to be honored by it. But in your own heart, you're really not seeking to glorify God or even praying for your own sanctification. You want something out of a sinful motive. And it explains right here. So you can spend it on your pleasures. This word expended is it's always used in a negative way in Scripture. It's always used in a negative sense. In fact, the, the other time that's used here is in Luke chapter 15, when the, with the prodigal son. The prodigal son, when he, you know, got, when he wished basically his dad to die, he was like, give me, give me my inheritance now. He goes and he spends it on his own pleasure. That's the same word here. You, you're asking God for certain things, not because you have God's glory in mind, but you have your own selfish pleasures in mind. And God is not going to answer those type of prayers. You can't manipulate God. God knows what's going on. There's a lack of genuine submission to God. God does not answer the prayers of those that are sinful. Psalm chapter 34. Verse 15, 16. The eyes of Yahweh are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. See, the Lord hears and, cry, and hears the cries of believers. He knows those that are his. And Psalm 145 has the same type of idea that when you pray and you're genuinely walking with the Lord, the Lord, that's when the Lord answers your prayer because your desires are the same as God's desires. But if your desires are your focus on yourself and it's those hedonistic type of desires and it's those type of lustful desires, God is not going to answer those things because that's going to deter you from the most important thing, which is himself. God knows that your prayers are just idle, or, or, or your prayers are focused on your own idols. And God, knowing your best interest, will not answer your prayers because he knows that it's going to harm you. You want something that is actually harmful to you and you don't even realize it because your motives are sinful. Again, you may be doing the outwardly religious things, but God is not fooled. I had a cousin that tried to do this with her dad. Um, she was, you know, we were all young then, and she was a sweet little girl. And by sweet, you know, you know how they say you are what you eat. She ate a lot of sweet things, so she's, you know, loves sweet things, and she desires and she craves sweet things. And she tried to manipulate her dad to give her a soda. She's all like, "Oh, dad, I'm so thirsty. Can I have something to drink? Uh, preferably something cold." And then the dad, knowing what she wanted, was like, "Oh, do you want a glass of water?" And then she'll take a little sip. Oh, no, no. I want something else, something that has a little bit more flavor. And, she's, and, the, dad, and the dad's like, okay, what about some soup? Do you want some soup? No, 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 no. Soup is not. I, I want something that's a little sweet. Oh, we have some little dessert. Do you want that? It's like, no, no, no. I want something in a can. And then basically she was to try to get to soda. And the dad knows, like, do you want a soda? It's like, yeah. Well, you're not going to get it. It's like the same thing. You, you can't fool God. It's better that you admit that your desires are wrong and confess it to the Lord than to try to manipulate God into doing what you want. Because oftentimes that's what happens, right? When you 
pray like, hey, I pray that, that I will be in a relationship. That doesn't happen. Well, sometimes the Lord doesn't give you that relationship because it's good for you. Because if you were in a relationship, it would be terrible for your sanctification, and it would be terrible for the other person as well. Sometimes the reason why the Lord doesn't give you ministry opportunities is because God knows that if you do this ministry opportunity, you're just going to bite and devour other people in the church. Why, didn't, why doesn't God give you that job with the, that pays well? It's because God knows that you're going to spend it on yourself. You're not going to give more, even though you, that might be your prayer. Now, in light of this COVID thing, that could be the same thing. Some of us were complaining about wanting to come back to church in the beginning. But do you want to really come back to church for the worship and the fellowship, like genuine worship and singing and praising to the Lord? Sometimes people just wanted to come back because they just felt lonely and bored. And that's not the right reason to return to church. You don't come back because it's a social circle thing. And other people, they complain about masks. They say this against my religious liberties. Like, well, is it? Are you saying that it's against religion, or is it something that you just you just don't want to be told what to do? I mean, I've never seen in the last year so many debates on Romans 13 or 1 Peter chapter 3. I've never seen that much debate in my entire life about what it means to submit to the government. Now, I do know that there are things that government cannot say and do, and we, and we submit to those things. We submit to those things that are not... Um, that, there, you know, that doesn't go against scripture. We get that. But there are some things that even objectively we're looking at, it's like, it's just, that's just a preference. Like, that's okay. It's not really a gospel issue. But because people want to prove some point, oftentimes they would fight with one another in the church. And the Lord is not pleased with that. God will not answer your prayers if it causes you to be less holy. First John chapter 3 Verse 21 to 22, it reads, Beloved, if our hearts does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things <coughs> that are pleasing in his sight. When you pray, it should be because you want to do something that's pleasing to the Lord. And when you don't get that, that could mean because that's what, actually that does mean that's best that you don't have that, uh, whatever it may be whether it may be a relationship or maybe there's more restraints in terms of COVID. It's supposed to sanctify you. Remember what I said earlier, that in James chapter 1, the way that Christians deal with conflict and, and just turmoil in life, it should be different from the world. The world is always going to be complaining and wanting different things, but as Christians, we have to see these things better. We have to see our own trials as a means for which the Lord is making us more like him, to make us grow in our faith, to trust in him more. Our prayers must fit in this category that is pleasing to the Lord. When we think about the conflicts that we have in our church, not just this church, but you know, church at large, we have to see that there are things that are not pleasing to the Lord. Again, there are things that are worth fighting for. If there's like some sort of cult that comes in, we, we, not, we don't need to physically knock them out, but we need, we'll, we'll, we'll have those debates because the gospel is at stake. But if someone comes in and he has a certain view of, you know, mask or vaccines, you know, we don't need to judge other people because of it. I know that, you know, as, as we're returning and then things are, you know, there's it always seems like a moving target for us. And yeah, I, I'm so thankful to the Lord that we have these elders and, and return team that are just working so hard to try to protect this church. I'm thankful for our elders and the fact that we are united. You know, we may have our disagreements at times, but we're, but at the end of the day, we love and respect and defer to one another because we understand that the unity of the church matters. There have been in the last year just different church splits over all of these polarizing issues. 
and that shouldn't be the case. I'm not saying that you can't leave a church or find another church, but I'm just saying that the way that you treat each other, it should be with tremendous amount of grace. Because that's what James chapter, even chapter three, at the end of chapter three, there's wisdom that comes from above, right? Because if if it's from the earth, there's always bitter jealousy and selfish ambition and their arrogance and they lie against the truth. But as it even says in verse 15, that these things are demonic. But as Christians, if you are a genuine Christian, the, the way that we deal with conflict with one another should be radically different from the world. This book here in James is supposed to highlight if you call yourself a Christian, that this is what's supposed to be. So in reality, if you're reading this, there should be two audiences. Either you are a if you're convicted, it's either because you are an immature believer or you're a believer and you realize what the God's word has to say, and you're convicted by it. Or you're not a Christian and you're not doing the things that it's saying, and you're convicted by it, then and you realize, like, okay, I call myself a Christian, I'm not doing the things that's saying here. The, both of them require you to repent. As Christians, we live differently. In fact, the last verse in this chapter says this, therefore the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So in a way, I kind of trapped all of you. I just told you, don't have quarreling fights, and now you have to do it because the Bible has, uh, says, says so. But we understand that a genuine believer, even when it comes to conflict and things that are very difficult, they deal with it differently. This last verse is supposed to be there to really test us. It will make us not comfortable because it's really a test of not just our comfort, but our love and our desires. Do you love the Lord enough to defer your own preferences for sake of unity in the church? Do you love the other brother and sister to be willing not to judge them based on you know, whether they decide to wear a mask or, or not or get the vaccine or not? You know, there are, these are very legitimate issues. But Christians should not be divided over it. There is a way in which we can disagree and still have love and respect for one another. And my hope is that in this last year, especially just seeing all the uh, things that we've all gone through as a church, that this has definitely made you more holy. That one of the things that you learn to forsake is that, oh man, I have all these petty arguments in the past with people. I don't want to do that anymore. I see the damage it has in my friendship and my walk with the Lord. I don't want to do those things anymore. Because evidence of true sanctification is maturity in the faith. Evidence of true sanctification is maturity in the faith. I'm so thankful, actually, that the Lord has placed us through this pandemic. As horrible as it is to the world, I'm very thankful to the Lord that he's placed us all through it. Because it really tried us to see, do you really first believe in the sovereignty and the goodness of God? And in light of those things, can you still serve and care for your brothers and sisters in the faith in light of all of these different obstacles? Or are you going to spend all your time bickering and fighting and grumbling and complaining over not having what you want? I guess you can end, we can end this by just asking this one simple question. Are you godlier now than before COVID? Are you godlier now after 15 months or so? Or, are you just, or, did, COVID, or did you miss lesson that God is trying to teach you throughout this entire, I mean, this pandemic isn't over yet, but for us, it's kind of getting better. But have you learned anything? Have you learned the truth and the goodness of God, or did you learn nothing out of this entire pandemic? Let's pray. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word, and Lord, may it pierce our hearts, 
And Lord, if there are any of us that have some sort of broken relationship with people, may we reconcile with them. But we, Lord, we know that you call us to live a peaceable life and to speak the truth and love to one another and, and to have unity in Christ. And Lord, we can be so <coughs> foolish and sinful by, ha by having our own preferences desiring our own desires and pleasures more than, um, than what would be best for other people. Lord, help us in this area. Help us cherish one another in the faith. Allow us to be grateful for different trials, but at the same time, convict us so that we can be shaped and molded to be more like your son, who is the Prince of Peace, who despite those that hate him, still care for the, uh, those that wanted to murder him. And Lord, may we have that same attitude that even, there, even though there might be people that disagree with us and disagree with us strongly, that we love on them, um, that we defer to them, that we prefer them, that's more important than ourselves, Lord. Allow us to be faithful in this way. Thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. It's good to, again to see all of you. I have some announcements. Um, first announcement is this, uh, we, as you know, we're returning in person, which means that there are going to be more ministry opportunities, so there's one in particular that is an urgent need, and that is we need more ushers, people that are willing to go and, you know, bring people into, you know, the, into the church, whether it's indoor or outdoors. Um, if this is something that you're interested in, please talk with James Jung or Tim Lee, I think James is here. Um, and another announcement that you can also go to James afterwards is that we need to rearrange the chairs downstairs for Sunday school um, or whether like overflow room. Uh, so if that's something that you want to help out, uh, please let James know as well. And another announcement, and again, serving opportunity because things are opening up. Um, so every year we have a new wave of different high, high school grads and college freshmen that are going to come up. And this year we have 11 of them that are coming up. Um, so they're going to come up, their first meeting here is going to be on July 2nd. I don't know how many of them are going to be here in person, but uh, I do want to have like a team of people that, wanna, that can help us simulate them into our fellowship group. Um, I know this group is, is, there's a lot of you and there's a huge uh, you know, age range. Um, so again, there's 11 of them, so we don't have to have 11 volunteers per se but we can also break you guys up. If this is something that you're interested in, uh, please let Roger know, and, um, and we can set up a team uh, just, again, get, to make them feel welcome. It can be kind of intimidating. You know, some of these are 18-year-olds, and they're, you're, you're like 30. I'm like 33, so, you know, they, they, I might not be cool to them, so they want to find someone maybe it's like more relatable. Uh, it's like, oh, you're like a grandpa. It's like, I'm a, I'm a father, not a grandpa. Um, but if it's something you would like to do, um, and you want to serve our, our incoming college students, uh, please either let myself or Roger know. Roger knows the exact list, and I think some of you even know these high schoolers. Um, so this is just a way for us to you know, come alongside them as they enter into college and career. Um, and the last announcement that I have is that we're going to have a Q&A on that July 2nd with Bill and Kathy. Uh, Alex is going to send um, uh, an email out, so you can just kind of click that link and ask any questions you like. It could range for whatever you, you want. I have a whole bunch of questions that I want to ask, but I don't want to, you know, be selfish like that. I'd rather, you know, you guys have whatever life questions you like to know or even theological ones, 
<laughs> feel free to ask those questions as well. Um, but yeah, I look forward to that day, you know, just to kind of like chat and dialogue with Bill and Kathy, who are just a treasure of wisdom and um, God's faithfulness. Uh, that's it. That's it. I think. Um, I think that's it. We don't need to. Social. Yeah, that's it. Okay, cool. No other announcements. All right. So you feel free to fellowship as as long as you like. Um, all right, yeah. All right. Have a good evening.